So that's what I'd like us to do today, is to read together in chapter 8 and look for the Lord's mind in it. Uh, I've got this old, this old uh, thought that I keep nagging you with. God has in these last days spoken unto us in his Son. You and I can listen. Come to understand. Lord, what were you all about? What were you saying? We can at least endeavor, we can at least apply our hearts and open our hearts and minds to the Lord to uh, attempt to come closer to Lord. What do you mean? What did you have in mind? Because that is what the Father's saying. <laughs> He's saying Him, Jesus. So I, for one, want to listen. Shall we see if we can listen a bit today? Uh, so let's go to chapter 8 we'll read a few verses of John's gospel this is and a little bit of a recap so interestingly this is the last iteration of the hassle that was precipitated by Jesus healing the man the impotent man in chapter 5 we've had two visits we've had people fighting him people hating him they wanted to murder him and this, is, this draws to a conclusion the events that follow from that offence. He offended them because he healed the man on the Sabbath. You remember that. And all, a whole lot of discussion and argy-bargy. And Jesus says some things that could be construed as being pretty harsh. I'd like to suggest to you that they're not. That you and I need a friend who is direct with us. Um, it's not that these are final judgments on them. They're not criticisms in the sense of I revile and I reject you. But he does endeavour. He does take the opportunity to illustrate to the Jews who are accusing him and who are not believing him. And he illustrates to them what's in their heart and what it's going to mean. It doesn't mean that that's the end of the road for them. It doesn't mean that they've been judged finally. It just means that they're being judged by their very deeds and actions now. And if you don't change people to whom I was sent, you're in trouble. So, whereas it sounds harsh sometimes, let's not forget that Jesus said, I did not come to judge. But these are full of judgments. But they're not final judgments. They say, look, this is what you're doing, man. This is what you're doing, woman. If you continue on that course, it will be ill with, with you. Change. And so these um, words of Jesus were not to condemn. They weren't to revile. They weren't to shut them down. They were to provoke them to decide. Don't you think that Jesus came to bring peace? He came to bring a sword. He came to bring a sword, that we should let that sword be applied to all that is carnal and anti-God in us. Listen, we've got to get it straight. There is war going on, and we need to be on the right side of the battle. There's war going on. He hasn't come to bring peace. He's come to, to pursue, to fight against, and ultimately, not ultimately, but presently to slay in you and in me, everything that is contrary to him. And until 
we have allowed him to enter our hearts with his sword the sword of the spirit which is living and powerful and sharper than every two-edged sword unless until we allow him to enter our spirit with that sword and deal with us surgically the cutting away of the flesh the circumcision of the heart there will be no peace I come not to bring peace I come to bring a sword and only after the sword in our inner man will we know peace can I just remind you of that from Hebrews no chastening for the moment seemeth to be pleasant Um, I'm going to misquote it shall we just have a quick look in chapter 12 because there's that remarkable phrase which you would do well to memorise and now I'm in trouble because I've got uh, not the Bible that I'm used to using so I can't quote it chapter 12 of Hebrews you must be patient with discipline God is, this is verse 7 is dealing with you as his sons and daughters what child is there that the parent doesn't discipline if you're left without discipline we've all had our fair share of it you're illegitimate and not true children after all we had earthly parents who disciplined us and we respected them shouldn't we much rather submit ourselves to the father of spirits and live our earthly parents discipline us for a little while as they judge best but when he disciplines us disciplines us it's for our advantage it's so that we may share his holiness no discipline seems to bring joy at the time peace, peace, and there is no peace no discipline seems to bring joy at the time later though, oh sorry, only sorrow later though, it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who are trained by it uh, I don't know why we started to say that but we did um, ah yes uh, these harsh things to the Jews um, and we all need a friend who's willing to be straight with us uh, you men and women who are married you've, uh, perhaps you've known a good friend who's able to say to you darling what you're doing is this and this and this and drawing it to your attention um, thank you friend uh, the Lord Jesus does exactly that in a more profound way through the sword of the spirit uh, it pierces even to the dividing asunder between soul my preferences my bent of personality and spirit those things are acceptable to him and he's not going to let us build our lives on our preferences and our bent of personality uh, if we say Lord please make me pleasing to you he says alright I'll get stuck into you and I'll show you now in this matter and this matter and this matter that's just your soul now you've got to operate as a spiritual person and be obedient to the Holy Ghost so what's it going to be man oh but I love this it's so nice it's so much me it's just what I want yeah okay soul or spirit uh you understand it is not going to let us whinge he wants to make us 
proper men and women who are pleasing to him because we're obedient to the spirit not every lust and whim of our natural man Uh, so I don't regard these things that the Lord Jesus says to the Jews as harsh or hard he was he was exposing to them what was making them tick to give them the opportunity to get off that train and get on the right one to get off that life with its destiny, repent, and be saved. So, it was a long introduction, wasn't it? Verse 39, verse 37 of chapter 8. I know you're Abraham's descendant. They said, he'd said to them, uh, you shall know the son, and the son shall make you free. And they said, hang on, mate, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone. We are the free. We're God's people on the earth. That's where we are in verse 37. I know you're Abraham's descendants, Jesus went on, but you're trying to kill me because my word doesn't advance in, within you. I'm speaking of what I've seen with the Father, and you too are doing what you've heard from your father okay this potential insult coming forward they got a different father they got a different spiritual heritage 39 Abraham's our father they replied if you really were Abraham's children replied Jesus you'd do what Abraham did but now you're trying to kill me a man who's told you the truth which I heard from God that's not what Abraham did you're doing the works of your father so Jesus demolishes their argument with a moral fact I've come from God I'm telling you the things that God has told me and you're trying to kill me that wasn't what Abraham did and we know what Abraham did he was known as being the father of the faithful scripture says of him he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Were they believing God? Interestingly, Jesus appeared to be of the opinion that his very appearance was authenticated by God, both in people's consciences, I can tell you, telling the truth, and by the external things. This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. He, his, his coming, as from God, was authenticated. I would suggest to you, not just by the external signs, the wonders, the signs pointing to his having been sent from God, the miracles, and the voice, but also in their conscience. He didn't think it needed any further discussion that he'd come from God. And that Abraham didn't do that. No, no. You can't pretend, you can't say that you're Abraham's children and then not do Abraham's stuff. You're supposed to be believing me. What happened when the representative of God, the king of Salem, Melchizedek, came out to meet Abraham? As God's emissary, Abraham honoured him. He worshipped him. He gave a tenth of all his spoils. He honoured God in God's emissary. They were doing exactly the opposite. The one who was, to a greater extent than Melchizedek, sent from God. They dishonoured and accused. You're going to see what they said to him later. Um, And they didn't believe him. 
So Jesus points out the fact, guys, you're dreaming. You can't be Abraham's children. You're not doing Abraham's stuff. You've got a different spirit working within you. You're of your father. Um, And this wasn't what they wanted to hear. But he wasn't fighting them. He was helping them. He was being their judge, not final, but revealing to them what was going on in their hearts so that they should change. I've come to save. I've come to seek you. You are the very ones I've come to seek and save. The Son of Man has not come to judge. He's come to seek and to save that which is lost. And here are these lost ones among them. He said, look, you're so lost. This is what's happening to you. Get off the train. Get on the right train. Get up. Repent. You understand. Um... Hallelujah. So we mustn't interpret Jesus' words as individual human beings fighting each other and carping. Nothing can be further from the truth. This is Jesus seeking and saving that which was lost. Uh, Later on in the chapter, they revile him. You are a Samaritan. The Samaritans were constituted as the Jews' enemies. You've got a devil. What reviling of Jesus? And do you remember Peter? You remember Peter? What did he say? When he was reviled, he reviled not again. Whoops. Have I got the right Peter? Perhaps I need one Peter. Too many Peters. Here we go. He committed no sin, nor was there deceit. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. Nor was there any deceit in his mouth when he was insulted. He didn't insult in return. The old version is, when he reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he gave himself up to the one who judges justly. And we'll see that's exactly what Jesus did here. And so I guess Peter was around at the time and wrote this 30, 60 years later um, in response to how did Jesus react when he was reviled? He wasn't reviling again. We'll read it. Okay, let's move on. 39, 40. You're doing the works, 41 of your father. There wasn't anything immoral about the way we were born, they replied. We've got one father, and that's God. When they came back from the Babylonian captivity, it was considered um, impure for an Israelite to marry a heathen woman. It was an impure marriage. It was what they called fornication, a a wrong marriage. Uh, Point one. Point two. Children of such a marriage were regarded as illegitimate. They were regarded as being sons of Satan through the pagan worshipping mother. So instead of being sons of God, because my mother worshipped God and my father worshipped God, so I'm a proper Jew, the pagan mother made them, in the eyes of the Jews, made them an illegitimate child. Um, a son of Satan through the heathen worship. And they said, both our parents are God parents. Both our parents were in Israel. We got one father. We're not mixed up. We're not partly, partly Israelitish. 
and therefore partly okay. Do you remember the great emphasis they put on birth and their lineage? That they had to be of the right lineage? Remember Nicodemus? He said, we're cool. Don't tell us that, that, um, that, that our father's in question. We've got one father and that's God. We're, we tick the lineage boxes. That's the meaning of that. Sometimes it's construed, and I think wrongly, as some reference to Jesus' uh, birth, which wouldn't have been obvious to them at the time, but not in that conversation. So I think that probably is a better way to understand what was being meant in that conversation. Excuse me. Um, Okay, moving on. So that's what they said. In In response, here's their defense. Hang on a minute. We're all right. We've got one father and that's God. Jesus, having talked about their non-Abraham behavior, now does the same thing with their God lineage. He said, okay, if you were children of God, your actions would be different. And he lays before them another set of moral actions that prove that they are not what they say they are. I wonder if any of them went away and sought God in their faces. We know that on the day that after the day of Pentecost, no, that after Pentecost, thousands of the priests were converted. That on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were converted. So, <laughs> do you remember that phrase? He, that, um, in the chapter 3 of Acts, Peter talks to the people who are wondering what's going on. This bloke was leaping and jumping and praising God and he'd been um, blind and crippled. I can't remember what was wrong with him for so many years. And are walking and leaping and praising God. You probably sang it as children. And Peter begins to explain what was going on. And, he, and one of the things he says is that this Jesus, God, has sent, has raised him up, and he sent him to you first to bless you. And can you remember what the blessing is? In chapter 3 of Acts? What was the blessing? He said, they were all gobsmacked at this bloke being healed. He'd been there for 40 years, for goodness sake. What's going on? And he said, oh, Peter said, oh, mate, it's just part of the course. This is this Jesus that God has sent. And can you remember the nature of the blessing? You should do, because I've mentioned it before. Um, sorry, I understand. Um, shall I just read it to you? It'll be quick. 3.17... Acts 3 26 When God raised up his servant he sent him to you first to bless you by giving you just what you wanted for Christmas No, that's not what it says He sent him to bless you by giving you healing, not what it said giving you the gift of tongues, not what it said making you feel ready, not what it said what was the blessing? Okay, I got the point across to, to bless you by turning each of you away from your wicked deeds the very thing that we couldn't do we were addicted to our wicked deeds these poor old Jews, they were addicted to them they were born in them, they were brought up in them it was all part of their psyche they were made in it and God sent them to bless them in turning them away. And this is part of the turning away. Don't, didn't you take a bit of turning away? I know I did. I, I thought my wicked deeds were, my life was inseparable from them. I thought that's how I would, that's, that's what would make me live. My wicked deeds. My right to my life, myself. 
But God sent Jesus to bless me. (laughs) And the first blessing we receive from Jesus, in that sense, perhaps, is he turns us away from our sin. If faith is a gift of God, where our sister was reading, by grace you are saved through faith, it's not of yourselves your faith, it's a gift of God. Um, Do you think repentance also is a gift of God? We're so wrapped up in our own will, so wrapped up. Um, We need that kind of blessing to turn us away. Sometimes he has to kick a bit. Uh, Sometimes, um, if we're thick and obstinate and harsh, um, we'll, we'll have to suffer some loss for that blessing. Um, we'll damage ourselves because of our thickness and our hardness of hearing. Um, so blessed art thou if thou art quick to hear, um, quick to understand. And it will go harder with you and me if we're slower to hear and slower to understand. Uh, Okay, we're in chapter 8. Okay, if we've got one father and that's God, verse 42. If God really was your father, replied Jesus, you would love me. Because I came from God. Remember we said he, he was attested. The fact that his divinity and his divine mission, Jesus seemed to think, was already attested to their consciences. By the external facts and by the heart fact. If God were your father, you'd love me. Here's the first test. Because I came from God and here I am. I didn't come of my own initiative, you see. But he sent me. Why don't you recognize what I'm saying? He he appreciates that they didn't recognize it. They they couldn't receive it. Why don't you recognize what I'm saying? It can only be because you can't hear my word. That word here is with the accusative. And really it means to understand. It means to hear with such attention, receptiveness, that you understand. With the genitive, it just means a noise, you know, sensory perception. But with the accusative, it means to hear with such attention and receptiveness as to understand. He heard. I don't we have that in popular culture. Do you, oh no, it's to feel. Do you feel me? Well, it's a bit like that. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Do you feel me? Do you really understand what I'm saying? Why don't you, why can't you perceive what I'm saying? Because you can't, you can't understand my word. You can't feel my word. It's too foreign to you. You are from your father, and he puts it out there. If it ain't God, it's the devil. There's only two. There are only two fathers of spiritual conditions. There's the father of spirits, and there's the imposter. Um, the devil. You are of your father, the devil. And you're eager to get on with what he wants. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he's never remained in the truth, because there's no truth in him. When he tells lies, he speaks what comes naturally to him, because he's a liar. In fact, he's the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, 
Here's an extraordinary thing. Most folk, when they tell the truth, expect to be believed. But Jesus says, because I speak the truth, you don't believe me. Verse 45. But because I speak the truth, you don't believe me. Which of you can bring a charge of sin against me? Is there something impure about my life that undermines my testimony? Come on, is there someone that can tell me that I've done something wrong so that my testimony is undermined? When the truth is contradicted by lack of holiness. Interestingly, they had brought accusation against him, hadn't they? That he was doing these things on the Sabbath, that he was glorifying himself. And he feels that he has adequately answered those accusations. Well, we've done that in previous chapters. He'd wrapped them up. They've been there, we've done that, that's dealt with, that's wrapped up, and they didn't say it again. Oh, you healed someone on the Sabbath. We've been there, we've done that, we discussed that, we put that one to bed. So, is there someone who can bring a charge of sin against me? Tick, 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 nothing. Next, next question. So, in other words, why wouldn't you believe the truth? Is it because I've done something wrong? Is it because it's undermined by my wrong life? No. If and I've lost the place. Which of you verse forty six, sorry, which of you can bring a charge of sin against me? Nothing. If I speak the truth, why don't you believe me? Tick, 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 nothing. And he answers it for them. The one who is from God hears, and that's that word again, um, understands, the one who is from God understands God's words. That's why you don't hear. That's why you don't understand. Because you're not from God. And I, I know we've said this a few times, but that really plays havoc with simplistic theology that you, certainly I was brought up with and that you may have been brought up with um, or at least simplistic psychology um, we're all children of the devil and when we get born again we become children of God that's true but it doesn't uh, it doesn't adequately explain statements like that because none of them were born again yet the Holy Ghost hadn't yet been given and already though there was a tendency manifest in them to listen to God and to come to the light remember chapter 3 or be in darkness and flee the light and stay in darkness this is a judgment that light has come into the world and men love darkness those he that doeth light cometh to the light that his deeds may be manifest that they are wrought in God what? an unregenerate person yeah, they're unregenerate but they're on the way to they love righteousness blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness they ain't got it yet but they shall be filled so there are two species of response there are people who have spent their lives willing themselves away from God and choosing the evil and fleeing light and say I want the darkness don't give me any light there are other folk who, in spite of the darkness in them, want the light. They hunger and thirst after righteousness. These are the people that are of God, so that when they hear, they respond. They say, yes, that's what I knew all along. That's what I've want. That's what I've been aspiring to all my life. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. 
So we've got this um, dichotomy in humanity. According to Jesus, I mean, what would he know? Hmm. According to Jesus, we have this dichotomy depending on how men and women have responded to God in their inner man through their lives. Um, and he said, guys, your problem <laughs> is that you're not of God. Now that can be cured, he didn't say that, but it can be cured, but you've got to face the problem. And you've got to get off this line of carnality, where the only thing that makes you tick, the only thing that you'll obey, the only thing that you'll listen to, the only thing that you respond to, is your own carnal religious nature. Get off it! And respond to me, I'm from him. So there was the opportunity there. Do you see what I mean why I said earlier? That he wasn't, he hadn't come to judge them finally, but to evidence to them, to make plain to them where they were coming from, what they were at. Give them the opportunity to turn from their sins. He sent him, the Father sent him to bless them in turning away from their sins. Uh, he didn't come to judge the world. He wasn't putting them down. He wasn't reviling them. It wasn't curtains. It was, uh, he see, this is part of his seeking and saving that which is lost, which was lost. Now, very quickly, that's why, okay, just a word about the devil, he's a murderer from the beginning. Well, what murder did he wreak in the beginning? He murdered Adam. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And he came along to Adam and he lied to him. As he said, thou shalt not surely die. And in inveigling Adam into sin... He murdered him. He is out for the blood, for the murder. He is out for the death of men and women. He did it to Adam. He brought death into the race. He's a murderer. From the beginning. You understand. And he deals in lies. He's the father of lies. The truth isn't in him. Truth is that uprightness of will that aspires to the knowledge of God, aspires to holiness, aspires to the things of God. That's true. The uprightness of will that aspires to the reality of God, which is holiness. None of that was in him. Okay, it's just in passing. Verse 48. This was the Judeans' response to Jesus. Now, the cat's really out of the bag. What? Where are the devil? Haven't we been right all along, they said, in saying you're a Samaritan and you've got a demon inside you? And when he would revile, he reviled not again. It was a simple denial. I haven't got a demon. <laughs> what an answer. <laughs> That's it. Mate, I haven't. Oh, I haven't got a demon. I'm honouring my father. By telling you the truth, I'm honouring my father. I Listen, I'm not interested in telling you the things that please you. I'm interested in honouring the Father. In truth being manifested, you do with it what you like. I'm doing, I'm pleasing the Father. He's, I'm living to Him. And you know, there's that about our lives which should be identical. Forget about the consequences, just be obedient to the Father. Now look, it is good to speak to your wife sometimes and let her say, well hang on a minute, mate, wait. I'm not, I'm joking. What I mean is that we, you know, we need to consider the consequences of what we say and do. But fundamentally, Lord, whatever it results in, I must be faithful to you. Now, it doesn't mean to say you've got to be 
a religious knit or a nutcase to be faithful to Jesus. And that's where good friends can be helpful. So look, I know you want to be faithful, but is this being faithful or is this being nutty? You know, and, and so you have the opportunity to consider. I'm not advocating nut- nuttiness. Hmm. Sorry. Hmm. Um, so, here was Jesus. I'm, in speaking to you like this, I'm honouring the Father. And you, you are dishonouring me. Uh, verse 50. I'm not looking for my own glory. Hang on a minute. You wait what you hear what he says later on. He says, I'm from the Father. He said, I'm the judge. Isn't that glorifying itself? It is in a sense, but he wasn't doing it off his own bat. He wasn't doing, he wasn't saying things for his own purpose. And he wasn't saying things that the Father wasn't whispering in his heart. I say only the things that the Father says to me. It wasn't his agenda. So there was a sense in which the words he said glorified him, but not things that weren't true, and not things that came from that will of his own idea, for his own purposes. He was just giving voice to the things that the Father was telling him. Sure, they glorified him, but it was the Father's work. I I speak those things which I hear from him. It wasn't Jesus' agenda. So just to be precise, I mean, it's a bit silly to say the things that I say, say the, the things that he says didn't glorify him. In that sense, they did. But they came from the Father, not from his ego. So it's good to make that distinction, I think. Okay. You'll see why we want to get to the end. I can't, well, yeah, we're nearly at the end. Why we want to get to the end. I haven't. I'm not looking for my own glory. There's one who's looking after that, and he'll be the judge. I'm telling you the solemn truth. Anyone who keeps my word will never, ever see death. Have a look at verse 31. There were many Jews, verse 30, who believed in him. So Jesus spoke to the Judeans who had believed in him. Do you remember this last week? If you remain in my word, if you continue in my word, he said, you are truly my disciples. Verse 51, I'm telling you the solemn truth, anyone who keeps my word. Do you see the pattern again? So he turns from these folk who were fighting against him and rejecting him at the moment. He turns from them to talk to the minority who were persisting in his word. There were still some, presumably. Lots of them gave up and said, oh, fight, we revile you, You're, you've got a devil, you're a Samaritan. And he goes on, and it's as if he turns um, his attention to the verse 31 people who remained, who were continuing in his word. Do you remember that as soon as the rubber hit the road, they dropped away? But there are some. And he said, I'm telling you the solemn truth. It's like a repeat of verse 31. I'm telling you the solemn truth. Anyone who keeps my word, if you continue in my word, if you keep my word, you'll never see death. And we had that in chapter 6, verse 50, didn't we? That uh, the Lord's people, Jesus uh, certainly states that for the Lord's people, those united to him by faith, there is no death. Not in the sense of death as man knows it. That when that bloke there dies... Uh, if he's a brother in Christ if he is united to Christ by faith 
You might call it death, but it isn't death. He's gone to be with Jesus. He's not dead. He's lost his body. That's it. He's changed the location of his habitation. He's put off this earthly tabernacle, to use Paul's phrase, and he's put on his heavenly tabernacle. He's not dead. <laughs> so, actually, I've just come back from my mother. End of August, September. No, end of July, August. And uh, I got there, and she'd nearly gone. She'd been failing. She was 96. Um, she'd been failing, weaker. She was up. She, it was great to see someone die in the Lord. Anyway, they say that she'd been hanging on for me. And I got there, um, off the plane, and up, it was a long 30-hour trip door-to-door. She was living way up in the north of Scotland. Uh, I arrived and went straight from the railway station to the nursing home where she was. And I'd never seen her. She looked completely different. Her face was all changed. Uh, I thought, oh, wow. So this is what a dead person is like. But she's alive. And a couple, of years, a couple of hours later, she'd gone to God. She didn't die. Uh, she was translated. She moved her habitation from her earthly tabernacle to being with the Father. And so we have that phrase in the Thessalonians. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Um, so it's pretty staggering. All these people, all these bodies littering the place. You know what I mean? I mean, sort of bodies still fall into the ground. And Jesus said, it's not death. Uh, how about that? Um, not death in the sense of um, a cessation of moral existence and a cessation of physical existence. It's just moving house, putting off the body, putting on the um, heavenly body. Have a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, now we know you really have got a demon, replied the Judeans. Look here, Abraham died, so did the prophet. And here you are saying, anyone who keeps my word will never ever taste death. You're suggesting, are you, that you're greater than our father Abraham? He died, so did the prophet. Who are you making yourself out to be? <laughs> and he was, he was, Jesus was going to own up to it straight. Of course I'm greater than your father Abraham. Uh, let's read it. So you, you get the argument. He, so he hits them with what he, already, he had already said in chapter 6. Um, anyone who keeps my word... Dear ones, shall we meditate on this tonight and this week? Lord, am I keeping your word? Are we being faithful to him? He who keeps my word, let's be faithful to the Lord. Let's stir one another up, stir one another up to, as you read to us, provoke one another to love. And let's provoke one another to be faithful. Let's keep his word. Oh, but it doesn't, it doesn't suit the local population. It doesn't suit our modern era. We become unpopular. It's not what people want to hear. It's all right. I don't care. Let's be faithful to Jesus and take the consequences. He that keeps my word will never, ever taste death. Jesus is interested. He's not interested in you being relevant to, to society. Sorry. He's interested in you being relevant to him. Um, and he'll look after society. Uh, you can chase that you can chase that idea all up and down, all sorts of alleyways and leave it to him our job 
is to be faithful to Jesus. Say, Lord, what do you mean? How should I be faithful to you in that? Um, Too often, in our era, I suspect, people under the guise of wanting to attract other people who aren't Christians say, well, what are they wanting to see in Christians? What do they want us to do? What will make them want to become one of us? It's the wrong question, (laughs) I would suggest. Um, There we are. Let's just get to the end, because it's very, very exciting. So... So they argue with him. They say, oh, mate, what are you suggesting? Who are you making yourself out to be? 54. If I do give myself glory, replied Jesus, my glory is nothing. It's my Father who brings me glory. The one that you say is our God. And you don't know him. I know him, though. If I were to say to you I didn't know him, I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Isn't that an extraordinary thing? Jesus is just asking us to do what he does. He is faithful to the Father. And he, he kept his word. Father, I'm living faithful to you. I'll take anything they throw at me. I'll take any consequence that results from it. But I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to keep your word. And that's all and exactly what he asks of us that we should be faithful to him that we should keep his word (laughs) take everything they throw at you take the consequences just be faithful to me Uh, (laughs) oh it's really simple isn't it what you mean you want you want us to love you Lord yeah he wants us to love him you mean you want us to be your own peculiar possession yeah what, you want us to belong to you first and only, so that everything else is secondary, and all our relationships on earth are governed in the context of being faithful to you? Yeah, that's exactly what I want. Oh, that's what being a Christian is. Living for Jesus. Uh, so don't start with the external, start with the spring. That's the spring, that's the spring of the external good stuff. Yes, we can say, well, Christians do this, 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 and this. But why? Because they're being faithful to Jesus. And so the explanation of the life of a Christian becomes, I'm keeping your word. Um, And so they behave like this, they behave like this, they behave like that. But you can't produce the faithfulness to Jesus just by addressing the behaviours. Does that make sense? You've got to... Yeah. I won't say it again. I, you see where I want to get to. If I were to say, I, I'd be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. 56, your father Abraham celebrated the fact that he would see my day. Um, in your seed shall all families of the earth be blessed. Dear old Abraham, he kept on believing God. He went out from his home, not knowing whither he went, he left the whole lot. The whole lot, all the pagan Urites, he left. He went out, believing God, not knowing whither he went. Didn't have a clue. And that really is a very good example of the Christian life. We, we set out to obey the Lord Jesus. We don't know where on earth it's going to take us. But Lord, I'm going out, I'm going to be faithful to your word. I'm living to obey you. But so that was, that's, uh, and Abraham rejoiced to see Jesus' day. He rejoiced to foresee it. Abraham, in your seed 
shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Out of you, Abraham, is coming the Savior. Abraham rejoiced. But that's not all. Jesus said, uh, your father Abraham celebrated the fact that he would see my day. He saw it and was delighted. Now, we don't know the context. We know that um, Moses and Elijah appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration and they knew what was going on. They knew that Jesus, Messiah, had come on the earth. We don't know how Abraham knew. But Abraham, Jesus says, rejoiced to see his day. He could see it happening. And he said, yes! Uh, you are not yet 50 years old, verse 57, responded Jesus. And have you seen Abraham? I'm telling you the solemn truth, replied Jesus. Before Abraham existed, I am. Uh, so for those who had the ear to hear, they picked up stones to throw at him. They didn't, but they wouldn't hear. But they heard that, and understand. Before Abraham was, I am. Uh, confession of his divinity he discovered it's an interesting thought what must the soul of the boy Jesus be like he was a little lad when did the consciousness of his divine mission and divine origin begin to strike him we know that he was he found favour with God and man and he grew up as a young lad finding favour with God and man I suspect Please don't throw things at me if you disagree with me. Um, but I suspect that his understanding of his position, his divinity, his having been sent from the Father, I suspect it began to grow from his baptism um, with the voice. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. When the Holy Ghost descended upon him and remained on him, not like you and me, a flame of fire, but a dove, the whole body, the whole body at peace, perfect peace, no fight with the Holy Ghost in Jesus. And I suspect, I kind of think, that from that moment, the revelation began to grow in him of who he was, and he walked in it. And so there we are. So that's, I thought we shouldn't miss those verses. They're too important just to get on with the story. But first, chapter 9 is a new iteration that brings to the end all the trouble and discussion caused by the healing of the impotent man in chapter 5. And all those discussions come to an end, and we've got new trouble after that, um, which, which issues in the crucifixion. So we're in the lead up to the last six months of the Lord's life from chapter 9. Um, before Abraham was, I am. It wasn't something he'd learnt. He was articulating what he had discovered and what he was conscious of in his inner man. This is what he'd grown to understand, beginning at the baptism in, in Jordan and the voice and the Holy Ghost um, filling him. Uh, it began to grow in him and he was articulating the, his understanding, the very depths of his being. Before Abraham was, I am. And he could begin to see all the things that you and I are talking about. Because he had no one to teach him but the Father. Did he? Hallelujah. Come on, let's open our hearts to him for a few moments, shall we?